Trans women are women. In today's episode of the Davis Lunch Show, I'm going to go through and break down why that phrase alone can destroy our nation forever. Thank you so much for listening. This is the Davy Sloan Show. According to the Washington Post, 5.6% of adults identify as LGBTQ+. Now oppose that to one in six, almost 20% of Generation Z identify as the same LGBTQ+. If you've, been, if you've been paying attention in the past few years, past about a decade, you'll know that the LGBTQ plus community has gone from a fringe group of people that just wanted to be left alone, just wanted to be treated like everybody else. And they went to a group of people that say that we should let into our society and we need to call them by their pronouns and we, we should affirm to the gender that they claim to be. And now they're a group of people that want to be prevalent in our culture. They want to have the say in everything that goes on in our culture. Now, I think, of course, that saying that a trans woman is a woman is like saying that salt is pepper or that day is night or that wrong is right. It's the same thing as saying men are women. Now, I heard for the first time somebody say the phrase trans women are women. And I was kind of confused. And I was like, that doesn't make any sense. But why does not it not make any sense? So I wrote down 10 reasons that I think we can use as an argument to why trans women are women. Number one. To say that a trans woman is is a woman is a contradiction within of itself. So to need the qualifier trans means that there is an inherent difference between the two. If you're going to say one thing equals something else, it has to be completely equal. For example, 2 plus 2 equals 3 plus 1. There's a different way of getting there, but they both equal 4. To need the qualifier trans, the adjective trans in front of woman, means that it is something that is different than being a woman because there is a difference between the two. Number two, how can a man truly feel like a woman if he doesn't know what it feels like to be a woman? It's circular reasoning to say a man feels like a woman, therefore he is a woman because he feels like a woman. You see, a man can never know what it feels like to be a woman because he won't ever be a woman. If I say I feel like a fish, sure, I can feel like a fish, but I don't know what it really feels like to be a fish, to be in the ocean all day long, to be underwater the whole day. I can say I feel like a fish or I swim like a fish, but it doesn't mean I am a fish. It doesn't make me a fish. A man will never feel like, will never know what it feels like to actually be a woman. He can feel more feminine than other men, but he won't actually know what it feels like to be a woman because he's not a woman. Number three. The same people saying that trans women are women will also tell you that gender does not exist. It is a social construct. So if gender doesn't exist, then what is a woman? And this leads right into my fourth point. If a woman is not defined by her chromosomes, by her DNA, by her reproductive organs, by her body, her thoughts, her instincts, etc., then what is a woman? So in order for you to state that a trans woman is a woman, you have to define what a woman is or else you're not comparing it to anything. You might as well say a trans woman is a thingamabob or a trans woman is a doohickey. You know, if you don't explain and if you don't define what a woman is, then it doesn't mean anything. Most of the time, whenever you get to conversations with leftists and with people defending the trans community and saying that trans women are women, you'll ask them, what is a woman then? What are you saying that a trans woman is? And they'll say it's a state of mind. Well, a state of mind could be anything. 
you know, they'll, they'll say a ton of different things, but they'll never ever explain and define what a woman is. Number five, all of this breeds confusion. It really does. Ask any child before being indoctrinated or before going to public school or whatnot. If you ask any small child, five years old, six years old, what the difference between a man and a woman is, they will be able to tell you. This is not because we've created like manhood and womanhood as a social construct. This is because there is an innate understanding in even the smallest child's mind about the difference between a man and a woman. Ask any child. Ask any child that has not been indoctrinated, that hasn't necessarily gone to a public school to be indoctrinated. Ask any child, what's the difference between a man and a woman? And they will very bluntly and very clearly and honestly tell you the differences. And there are differences. Number six, whenever you allow any man to say that he is a woman, not feels like a woman, but literally is a woman, you cheapen womanhood. I'm a big believer in chivalry. I think whenever feminists talk about how they want women to be on the same level as men, I completely disagree. Now, you may say, oh, you're misogynistic, but I disagree for a whole different reason than most people would think. I disagree that women should be on the same level as men because I think women are so much more important than men. And this is why I try to stand up whenever a woman walks into the room. This is why I hold the door for women because they're not at the same level as me. They're far greater than any man could ever be. They're smarter than men. They they do more than men. Men men go to work and they bring home the bacon. But women are really the ones that are training up and rearing the next generation. So I think women are so much more important than men. And whenever you allow men to say that they are women, not feels like a woman, but literally if they are a woman, then you're cheapening womanhood. You're turning it into a costume that can be worn by anybody at any time. Number seven, the transgender and feminist movement for so long, they try to take down the quote-unquote, construct of gender. Now, all they do is enforce it. Before, if you had a boy that went to the girl's section in a store and started playing with the dolls or had, you know, a sister and started playing with the sister's dolls, you would say that that boy is a girly boy. And then the feminist would clap back and say, no, 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 he's not a girly boy because it's not girly for a boy to play with dolls. Because for you to say that it's girly for a boy to play with dolls, then you're enforcing this quote-unquote construct of gender. The transgender movement has tried and the feminist movement tried so long to take down that quote unquote construct, but now they're just enforcing it because now that same boy who goes and plays with dolls that used to be called girly, now he literally is a girl. So it's affirming ever every quote unquote construct about gender that we have. Number eight, if a man is missing a finger, he's still a human. If a man is missing an arm, he's also still a human. This is because we don't say all humans have 10 fingers and two arms. We say humans have 10 fingers and two arms. If a man has six fingers in one hand and five on the other, which means he has 11 fingers total, we don't make a whole different category for him aside from being a human. He's still a human with 11 fingers. If a man is born without one arm or he was in the war and he's a war veteran and is missing an arm, he's still a human. We don't have a separate whole distinction of type of being for him whenever you talk to the transgender movement and they say okay you define woman because they can't so they say you define woman you say a person that has woman body parts woman reproductive organs woman instincts woman thoughts etc they say oh what about women that don't have reproductive organs and they try to stump you that way well the thing is just like if a man doesn't have 10 fingers and doesn't have two arms he's still a human it's the same thing with a woman. Just because you don't have reproductive organs 
doesn't mean that you're not a woman. Number nine, hundreds of years after you die, no scientist will be able to dig up your bones and figure out what your thoughts were, what you felt like, or what you identified as. But hundreds of years after you die, those same scientists that couldn't figure out your thoughts, couldn't figure out what you identified as, those same scientists are going to be able to take your DNA, you know, take the bones and figure out if you were a man or if you were a woman. Why is this? Because there is a difference. There is a difference between a man and a woman. Like we said before, if you ask a child what the difference is, they'll be able to tell you. A hundred years from now, it doesn't matter what you thought you were, what you identified as, what was going on in your head. But what does matter is what you were born as, a man or a woman, and there is a difference. Number 10, I want to read a Bible verse for you. So far, I've only used either logic or scientific arguments, but I do have a Bible verse that I want to end, up, end this segment out on. In Romans 1, starting in verse number 26, the Bible says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. The Bible says, and so many Christians these days, and especially with the Catholic Church, obviously I'm not a Catholic, but especially with the Catholic Church and then other Christians, you know, using that term loosely, they'll say, well, what really doesn't matter? What does it matter if we say that men are women and that women can be men? Like, what's the big deal? It's just a big construct. It's just something that we've been put in, we've put in place. What's the big deal? Well, the Bible says right here, it's unnatural. God gave them up to vile affections. God gave them up to unnatural affections. It's unnatural for a man to be born a man and to then one day decide that he's a woman. Now, of course, we live in a fallen world. I don't know. Nobody, I don't think anybody really knows, but maybe some men are born a little bit more feminine. We live in a fallen world. It shouldn't be that way, but you know, it could happen. Or maybe some men are even born to be more geared towards being attracted to other men. I think of course it can be fought, you know, that, that feeling inside you, but maybe it's possible. But the Bible does say that it is unnatural for a man to burn in his lust toward men. And I think that goes also towards the transgender movement. It is unnatural for a man to think and to feel like he is a woman. One big problem I see with Christians today is that we discredit the omniscience of God. Now, what does omniscience mean? Omniscience just means all-knowing. We all know, we all say that God is all-knowing, but a lot of times, and especially with this argument right here, we discredit the all-knowingness of God. Whenever a Christian says that a man that says he's a woman should have been a woman at birth, or he is a woman, then you're basically saying at the same time that God messed up. So there's two sides you can choose, and you can't be on one foot on one side and one foot on the other. It's two very clear sides. Either God is perfect, God's all-knowing, God's powerful, and he knows exactly what he's doing, and God can do anything but fail, and he's never failed, and he's never made a mistake, or God's a fool and God has messed up. And it's possible for a man that was born a man actually should have been born a woman. There's two sides of the aisle to this. You've got to choose one. And this is a huge thing I see with Christianity today. And every single Christian that says and buys into the fact that trans women are women, it is clearly defying God and his omniscience, his omnipotence, 
and everything that goes with God is the fact that God can do anything but fail. They're saying, no, 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 God did fail. God should have made this man a woman at birth. He messed up. God's a fool. So there's two sides of the aisle. You have to choose one or the other. You can't be right in the middle. Um, there's an example that I've heard before and I think is really, really cool, really cool example. You take the, you know, take basketball. You have the National Basketball Association, the NBA, and then the WNBA. And those same athletes and those same people, they've gone super woke. And they, they would tell you, yes, a guy that thinks he's a girl that is a girl or a girl that thinks he's a guy is a guy. But then you ask them, you know, then why even have a WNBA? If there really is no difference between a guy and a girl, then why does it have to be two separate basketball leagues? Why can't you just combine them into one and have the best 150 or whatever players playing in that league or 400 players, whatever it is? The best 400 players, basketball players in the whole world, men, women, does not matter, playing in that league. Well, I think everybody would realize that all 400 of those players would be men. Because if you take the worst NBA player and put him in the WNBA, I think we would all agree that he would destroy everybody. And if you take the best WNBA player and put her in the NBA, she'd probably soon be out of a job. And this is because, of course, there is a difference between men and women. Now, why is it such a big deal to me to fight against this movement of accepting transgenderism and affirming that men that think they're women are women? The, the phrase trans women are women. Why is it such a big deal to me to fight against that? And, you know, people can say, oh, it's just your religion. You know, you read from the Bible and you just think that because God says it's unnatural, like God says it's vile, then you're against it. Well, that is part of it. If there was nothing else and all I had was the Bible to go off of, of course, I would be fighting against the transgender movement. But why should you fight against the transgender movement? Why should you fight against anything like something like this? Well, just like I said before, saying that salt is pepper, that's a lie. Saying that day is night, that's a lie. Saying that wrong is right, that's a lie. If there was a big movement across America and across the world to say that circles are squares, then I would fight against that probably just as hard as I'm fighting against this transgender movement and the phrase trans women are women. I would probably fight against it the same. And it's because, not because necessarily a circle being a square or a square being a circle is such a big deal to me personally. But the thing is, it's the attack on truth. And this is something we've seen so often here in America is there's this constant, constant attack on truth something that we know is true, something that everybody in their subconscious mind knows is true, but you have so many different people telling you, no, 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 you're wrong. You know, follow me. Don't follow your eyes. Don't follow your own mind. Follow what I say. And so whenever somebody says that trans women are women, I think that most people in this world know deep, deep down that that's fake. That's a lie. That's false. But we've been so conditioned and we've been lied to so many times that so many people have either given up the fight, which is what, like a big, big problem, or, or completely given in and actually think that trans women are women. And so there's this big attack on truth. And I think just like calling salt pepper, just like calling day night, just like calling wrong right, and just like calling a circle a square, calling men women is a lie. And we should always fight against lies. If there's an attack on truth, we should completely attack that movement right back and try to get our culture back. 
I have the great privilege and honor of attending the greatest college in the whole world. It's called Golden State Baptist College. It's in Santa Clara, California. Now, we don't have a big college, and we're more focused on learning about the Bible and learning about, you know, going into church work and ministry. But we do like to have fun. And so we have something that we do every every Sunday night after church, and it's the Intramural Basketball League. Now, there are no pros in our college. None of us are super, super good. But we have a lot of fun with it, and things get, you know, a little bit heated. We all like to win. We're, you know, real, real men. We want to win. We want to beat the other guys. Well, this past Sunday was the very first game that we had played this year. Now, you know, I'm pumped up. I got a new team. I got new teammates that I had last that I had last year, and I'm pumped up to start the season. You know, I'm like, all right, I've been practicing. I've been losing weight. You know, I'm going to play really well, and, you know, our team's going to win. You know, let's do this. And so I go out there and I'm, you know, I'm confident that we're going to have a, have a decent game. And I just absolutely stink the place up. I'm telling you going from offense to defense, I was just absolutely terrible. I would even call it the worst game I've ever played in my life. I probably shot, you know, 10 or 12 threes, which is usually what I do. And I'll usually make 30 or 40% of them. And I, I tell you, I did not make one three on Sunday. We were tied at halftime, but only because one of my teammates was having a great game. And then in the second half, we absolutely fell apart. Um, you know, the other teammate, you know, he cooled down a little bit. And our whole team, oh, it just fell apart. It was terrible. We ended up losing by like 20-something points. And I ended up with two free throws. And that's it. I had two points the whole game. That was not what I was expecting. Now, after the game, uh, we had a circle and we were going around and, you know, we were like, all right, everybody say, what is one thing that we sh- could improve upon after this game? And, you know, people are going around. I think I said something like communication. We're talking about boxing out, defensive rotations and all that. And one of my teammates, and he, I won't say his name, but he's one that is not the best player on the team. And in fact, he didn't really play that much in the game. He didn't score. He didn't really do anything. But he said Davey shot too many threes that he didn't make. And so I kind of looked at him. And, you know, I kind of made a face deep within. I don't think I let it show. But hearing that, you know, I think it's kind of the motivation that I need. And hopefully this next Sunday I'll be able to get it done and have a little bit of a better game. Now we'll go on to our episode's opinion of the day. Before I get into the opinion of the day for this episode, I have two things I want to tell you. Number one, thank you so much for listening to my last episode. Usually my, I don't like to say numbers, but usually my episodes will get, you know, a couple thousand listeners. But last time, it's been a while and so it's been gradually building. But last time I checked this morning, the episode was over 9,300 listens. And I really want to thank you guys for that. That is huge. I'm hoping this episode will get to 10,000. That would be absolutely amazing and an accomplishment I really never saw coming. And I never saw 10,000 people listening to me. That is absolutely amazing. So if you guys could share this episode, let's get it to 10,000 listens next episode. You know, leave a five-star review. That would be absolutely amazing. The second thing I want to talk to you guys about is I am on Getter. And if you follow me on Instagram, I have, you know, I had like 23,000 followers, whatever. And I haven't really been posting that much. I've lost like 500 followers because, you know, I said something bad about Trump. And you know how that goes with Republicans when you criticize Trump. I lost like 500 followers, whatever. It's not a big deal. But I have been more active on the app called Getter. It's like a t- Twitter alternative. And I now have more followers there than I have on Instagram. Last time I checked, I was like 
26.2 thousand followers, something like that. But if you guys can go over on Getter, give me a quick follow. That would be absolutely amazing. I just got on there about a couple months ago, and so it's been growing rapidly. And now we're going to go into our opinion. It's for today's opinion. I want to talk about people that use their phones while driving. This is a huge problem. I live, like I said, I go to Golden State Baptist College in Santa Clara, California. If you know anything about Santa Clara, you know that that is right in the heart of the Silicon Valley. And if you know anything about the Silicon Valley, it's like the technology capital of the world. Now, these people spend hours every single day. They work at Apple. They work at Google. They work at Yahoo. They work at Android. All these all these huge, huge technology companies. And they spend their lives improving the technology that we have. One big problem, and maybe it's because I just started driving a few years ago, but something I've noticed more and more and more at, through the years is that I see more and more people using their phones while driving. The other day, I was driving home from work, and this guy is sitting on his phone texting while changing lanes, and he almost ran right into me. You, you see it almost every day where you're sitting at a stoplight, and the person in front of you has their head down, and you know that they're on their phone, and the light turns green, and I don't like to honk at people. You know, I think because I live around the area with a lot of church members, it might be a church member, and I would never want to honk at a church member. But, you know, after the person's been on their phone for five, six, seven seconds, and you're still waiting for them to look up from their phone to see that the light has turned green, then, you know, you give it a little honk, and I don't like doing that. So I would like to say for today's opinion that Apple – is already tracking everything we do. They know where we are. They know what we talk about. We've all seen ads that pop up two minutes after we talk about something, talk about a product. We see the ad for that product pop up. So we had to already acknowledge that Apple knows everything about our lives. They know everything about where we are, what we're doing, what we're talking about. And so while they're at it, I would like to propose to Apple, to Google, to Samsung, Android, whatever it is, I would like to propose to them that they install a feature on their phones that makes the phone turn off if you are the driver of the car. Now, I don't know, obviously, how they're going to do that. I'm not super technology savvy. I don't know how they're going to different differentiate between the driver and a passenger. But because, of course, the passenger should be able to be on their phones while they're in the car. But I think there should be a way to know if you are the driver, then your phone shuts off. You can only use the maps and that's it. And then emergency calls or whatever. But I don't think that it is safe because we've heard people talking about where you're trying to reduce the traffic accidents and traffic deaths. I don't think it's a good idea to continue letting drivers be on their phones. And of course it's against the law, but everybody does it. We've all, you know, returned to text while driving. We've all done it. We're all, we're all guilty of it. And so I think there should be a way to completely eliminate that distraction from the drivers and take away their ability to be on their phone. And so for the opinion of the day, I think that while Apple is busy, monitoring us and knowing everything about our lives i think they should go ahead and add the feature you know we all know that they track us so they might as well add the feature that whenever we're driving there should be a way to know who is the driver and that their phone should be shut off until they're done driving it would make for a much safer road and make for a much safer time and it would be absolutely wonderful if the drivers were to know when the light turned green so i think that would be an absolutely wonderful idea well, thank you so much for joining me today in this episode. It was a bit of a shorter episode, I guess. I can't wait to hopefully get these a little bit more consistently out. Anyway, see you guys in the next time. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Davy Sloan Show.